you have you ever took the time to watch Twin Peaks? Yes, of course. You've watched the whole thing? Yeah. Okay, so I'm getting into the second season. Sure. Where it gets really weird. Yeah. Um and I've came to the conclusion that I think the characters are almost as unlikable as David Finch himself. Mmm. <laughs> Did you see his quote about uh Trump? No. He said he might go down as the greatest president in history. Is that so? Yeah. And then he and then he walked it back by saying what he meant was he has exposed corruption like no other president has. Oh, by being corrupt? <laughs> I guess. That's ridiculous. Yeah. He... Can I tell you that I'm scared that, uh, why, why Joe Biden? Why Joe, why Sleepy Joe? I know I, this isn't a political know. show, but no. why? I don't know. I have, I don't, I don't know. But it's I have been a... watching AHS season seven cult. Okay. 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 Yep. Yep. I, I remember. It took me a minute. I'm like, yeah, that's a good one though. And is there a idea of him? Well, <laughs> the reason why, uh, uh, the lispy one started trying to get killed by the one that's eyes are too close together is because she voted for Jill Stein. She wasted her vote. Uh, you mean Sarah Paulson? Yeah, Sarah Paulson. Okay. Lispy okay. McGee. That's what I call her. <laughs> but does, she doesn't always have a lisp, does she? Oh, yeah. In every single... Everything she's ever been in in her life because she's got a, a an over underbite. One, whatever one gives you a lisp. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's a great actress. She's great. Fantastic. Uh, if you need someone to cry. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Okay. Because every scene, she's hysterical. Excellent crier. True. Okay. HS Season 7. I'm on episode 10. I'll tell you what. Uh, it's really good. Watching, uh, God, what's that kid's name? Um, Evan Peters. Yes. Watching yeah. him play all the different cult leaders mm. is fantastic. <laughs> like him playing Jim Jones is just like a big fat Jim Jones. That's I'm, so good. I'm sure you were like the rest of us true crime nerds when he was playing Charles Manson, right? Yeah. Like, well, Charlie actually wasn't there, but because yes. uh, they have him like basically pulling the rope up to strangle. Um, What's her name? Tate. Yeah. Sharon Tate. I'm like, eh. They, uh, well, they also say Jim, he, when he was telling his little cult friends, when Jim Jones actually drank the flavor aid and then Jesus came down and kissed him and he was able to resurrect everybody. <sighs> Jim Jones had to be shot in the back of the head because he's too pussy to drink it. Yeah. Or look at the gun when mm. he was about to die. What a bitch. <laughs> look at they the They all thing. are, though. Look down the all, barrel. All them cult leaders are, though. That's the truth. Who's, who's the other one? Did he do Heaven Gate, Heaven's Gate, too? Yep. Yeah. Is that? Okay. He did Marshall Applewhite. I, Maybe we should give Marshall the most credit because he did that. He went. He, he went along with his cult, his he little cult or whatever. He was a broken man, <laughs> a broken little guy. It's hard to believe there's still like you. I think you can still go to their website. Have, like oh, you really? can join up if you'd like. Really? Is somebody running it now, or is it? I just don't like know. I don't automated? know who's running it. But the sweet thing is, I found this. It was a old school poster of theirs. Real generic looking writing, and it said, join us, learn about the UFOs and God and all of this, and it was a Heaven's Gate like flyer. Wow. I thought it'd be kind of cool, but you have to buy it off Etsy, and it has to get shipped from the UK, and that's Ugh. a nightmare. And then by then, you're $130 into the endeavor. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just wanted the goddamn print, man. I know. It's awful. The $20 print turns into $50, $60 for shipping. I'll tell you this much. Mm. You can get the sickest print for $15 a month if you go to (laughs) bumblebuttpodcast.com. 
Oh, and then yes. you follow that link through to the Patreon. But why don't you go to our new, brand new, spanking new website, www.bumblebuttpodcast.com. There, you, there's a store page. Mm-hmm. There's an About Us page. Mm-hmm. You can listen to our promo that we send out to other podcasts when we do a little promo exchange. Yeah, you can listen right from the website. Well, I guess maybe we should explain because maybe people will be confused <laughs> when they Probably. first see the front page. So <laughs> what we've decided to do is to uh, create a network of our own that we are calling Weirdos United. Like Ooh. I explained uh, on Sub D is... A lot of our fans probably are the weirder, weirder type of people, so they thought it was fitting. Uh, now, essentially, what we've created is we're gonna have Bumblebutt podcast on there. We're gonna have Subliminal Deception podcast on there, and then anything else any of the three of us do, Adam, Phil, or I, will all be on the same website mm-hmm. when Phil eventually launches his solo history project uh, podcast that is apparently coming out in. October. That's the uh, deadline he's gave himself. He's uh he's been working on it for quite a long time. Yeah, I was thinking about this last night. I'm like, look, I like Dan Carlin. Yeah, Phil's a dear friend of mine. I want to learn about. I think he said he's doing Alex- Alexander the Great first. Well, that's awesome. That's who I want to hear about. I yeah. want to hear about from Phil. But uh, we'll let everybody know. Here's when that the comes problem out. with Dan Carlin. Hmm. He plays it pretty fast and loose with history. Yeah, you know, he he he. He's not always 100% factual with his information, but really? I do like him. Like he, He's confirmed. Confirmed, yeah. He's confirmed. not 100% factual. Historians will say that. Yeah, oh. They'll say, they'll say, ooh, he plays a little fast and loose there. <laughs> I wonder if Phil's going to sound like he's going to come in his pants the second he uh, starts talking about any sort of war scene. Is it, yeah, That's Dan Carlin. I was oh, yeah. listening. I was like, Jesus, this guy's like must be rock hard talking about all this oh, warfare. He loves it. But uh, yeah, so the store is probably my favorite feature because we have the shirts on there. We have the stickers on there. If you don't want to be a Patreon, you can just simply go to there. You can use your debit card, credit card. Or your PayPal. You don't have to interact with me at all. Wow. So it's that Stripe thing is yep. really, uh, it, it can do PayPal, credit, and debit. Yeah. Just like any other online store. Holy shit. And we've reached the 21st century. Yes, we <laughs> We're a little behind, but we it's going to make things easy. You buy it, sends me a message, I ship it out, we're good to go. Uh, and then also, like I've Adam's aware of, uh, next week we're going to be ordering brand new Bumblebuff feature, or DB Cooper. Bumblebutt t-shirts. Ow, They're going to be ow, awesome. Ow. Yeah, I didn't even show you my modified design. You didn't show me the final. You showed me the yeah. first draft. Yeah. Mm. So I put Bumblebutt podcast in like groovy 70s letters on the bottom. That's what I'm it's talking gonna about. It's going to be sweet. You can light up a fat 70s blunt and l- listen to our show. I've been really into the finding free fonts online game mm. right recently. <laughs> and I realized... You get the font, and you install it on Windows, right? And it almost always freezes up when you install more than one. Oh. Don't know why. So you have to do one at a time and then restart your computer? No, you have to close all the windows and then open it back up and then reinstall it. It, like, freezes. I don't know what it is about fonts. Unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you what, Cody. Good job on the website. Weirdosunited.com, bumblebuttpodcast.com, subliminaldeception.com will all lead you. The exact same place. Right to the Weirdos United, mm. which is me, Phil, Cody, mm. and whatever other projects that we do. Uh, we, we put Druid on there, but I, I don't know if they're around anymore. Shit, I think we might as well. <laughs> yeah. we, don't we own Jordan's rights at least a little bit? Didn't uh, we make him sign something? Did we? I we should have, so. probably. Yeah. 
I got them blackout and made them sign a bunch of stuff. <laughs> you know how many people have like contacted me? I don't know about you, but they're like, "Hey, can we listen or can you give me a link to like Druid's music?" Wow, yeah, nobody's hit me for that. Yeah. yeah, it's like at least three or four people, and I'm like, "Here you go, here it is," and they're like, "Man, I really like this." <sighs> I'm telling you, it's yeah, hard man, shit. It's good, it's good stuff. Seeing man. them live, I'm super glad we did. Mm. Listen. This is the 12 minutes of BS that that one guy hated that one <laughs> yes. time, okay? I'm sorry, sir. So we're going to go to D.B. Cooper, part two. Unfortunately, Phil couldn't join us. He mm. is uh, uh, stuck in Redactedville. Yeah, he's back in 100-degree Arizona right That's now. Right. And it's beautiful outside where we are. Ooh, <laughs> you think mom, so? I love it. I love this freezing. weather. I love this weather. Mm. All right, so we're going to continue our journey here and talk about the man who I think D.B. Cooper is, Okay. Uh, Mr. Robert Rackstraw. I'm not mm. going to say his name a lot because it feels like a mouthful, mm. but... Uh, Bob Rackshaw. Yeah. Well, it's Straw. Oh, Straw. Straw. Gotcha. See, I made that mistake, too, and there's... You can see the errors on my writing yeah. here, but it's Straw. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Robert Wesley Rackstraw was born <laughs> sometime in 1943 in Ohio. I don't know why we don't have an exact birth date. All they could find was 1943. There's so no hospital records or anything. I, apparently, they couldn't find him. I don't know. Wonderful. Now, Bob had one sister whom will become one of the greatest sources into revealing all about Bob Rackstraw's life. Her name was Linda Lee Rackstraw. Hmm. And she always goes by Linda Lee, by the way. Linda Lee. That's yes, very- Yes, yeah. we couldn't avoid it. We had to say it like uh, that. Unfortunately. Linda Lee, give me another slice <laughs> of that pie. Now, although they would certainly consider themselves to be full siblings, it appears that Bob was from his mother Lucille's first marriage, and Linda Lee was from Lucille's second marriage, which puts the age difference between Linda Lee and Bob at about four years, Bob being the older of the two. Hmm. But it wasn't until Lucille's third marriage to Philip Rackstraw that Bob and Linda Lee would seem to have a Uh. stable father figure in their lives. (laughs) And both of them would consider Philip to be their real father and obviously would eventually take his okay. last name. I've heard of that happening before. Yeah. So you, a, you like your stepdad enough that you want to take his last name as well. I like that. The The thing is, is I don't know like what age they were when it happened. Maybe they're young enough, but they always treat him like that's their dad. Well, that's amazing. So, now, when Lu- Lucille and Philip got married, it seems like they were either in California already or had just moved there. We're not really sure. They would live in Santa Cruz County, California, where, as we will find out, Bob will spend a great chunk of his life. How do you... uh, What a paradise, you know? You think so? Santa Cruz County? Definitely. Mm, We'll wait till you hear about where they live there. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Okay. Now, Bob and Linda Lee were very, very close, and as as far as siblings go, although Linda Lee would always call Bob... The Great Teaser. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm assuming you and your brothers teased each other. Definitely. Okay, yeah, that's... that's, yeah. I I mean, you don't have sisters, but I teased Shayna... Like no one's business. So it's yeah, just you kind were, of a uh, thing. You were a bastard. Yes. <laughs> you were you were a bastard man. Now, Bob and Linda Lee would have to share a bedroom all the way up until Bob was 14 and Linda Lee was 10. <sighs> little weird. Little weird. It's rough as a 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Now, as far as her home goes, it was located out near the Santa Cruz Mountains, which essentially gave them the freedom to play in the woods and nearby lakes unsupervised. Because of that... They would enjoy such activities as skipping rocks, 
playing in the mud, huh. having splash fights, tree climbing, stargazing, bike riding, or any other general mischief children get into. Linda Lee would later say, As I got into my older years, I kind of resented being out there because your friends are, you know, are from school and they don't make a trip from the burbs. So with so few neighbors, kids, it's almost like it's just you and him. Now, if Linda Lee did manage to get, convince her female friends to come out to the country, apparently Bob liked to chase the girls around with a garter snake. Very, that sounds right. Very boy-like activities here. But I feel your pain, Linda Lee. I grew up on a farm. Not everybody wants to go out there. No, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like... Honestly, this kind of life sounds good for two weeks at a time. And then I want to get back to civilization <laughs> yeah. for a while. Could you imagine you or any of your brothers playing in the mud together? Uh, it happened. It definitely <laughs> happened. There was rains in South St. Paul, but we weren't out there uh we weren't out there in the in the basin of a mountain <laughs> getting lost, swept away by a, a mighty river stream. Man, I I mean obviously my mountain would be cornfields, but I feel no. like a real mountain would be pretty fucking sweet. That would be radical if you yeah. had access to a real mountain. Have you seen Eagle Mountain, Minnesota's mountain? It mm -mm. just looks like a hill. It looks <laughs> like a, the, a hill. It's the, up near the, Duluth. Oh, I thought you were talking about that giant ski ramp thing they have in like Woodbury. Oh no. <laughs> Isn't that called Eagle Point or something? It might be. Our Eagle Point are the shitty apartments over on uh, Mendota. <laughs> oh, yes, I remember those now. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about Bob was he was the type of kid who always needed something to keep his mind preoccupied. Otherwise, he would get distracted and start causing trouble. They call that ADD nowadays. <laughs> I, They'd I, give him Ritalin. I actually do think that is what he has. Yeah. Now, as we will find out, Bob was exceedingly intelligent, and when he could really set his focus on something, generally, he could excel at it. And of course, one of his very first childhood interests was, of course, flying. Holy shit, me yeah. and Bob are the same right now. That was your favorite thing? Oh yeah, I wanted to be Maverick. Did you... I wanted to be Top Gun. Well, how come you didn't hijack a plane? I'm too big for planes. <laughs> I'm too big for him. I'm already not comfortable. I couldn't imagine trying to pull off a heist. Or you could have been like a military paratrooper or something like that. Oh Bob no. Too. You gotta be you gotta be your height and your weight. I they'll make you one. They'll, they'll get they'll, you in there. Listen, I am not covert. What am I gonna do? <laughs> hide behind something? I don't think so. Well, let's see if you followed Bob's footsteps. All right. Now Bob would go to the library and check out all sorts of books about flying as well as put together model airplanes. At the age of 12, Bob decided to try his hands at a little engineering project. He had gathered a random assortment of construction items, which included a large length of clay pipe and constructed himself a homemade cannon. Awesome. Have you done that? Never. <laughs> no, I didn't have the balls to make anything with uh, any sort of firepower. <laughs> well, he got uh, Philip Works Construction, his father. Mm -hmm. That's so he just takes all the shit. Easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, easy operation. Now, unfortunately, the first one broke. But Bob was not undeterred, so he crafted a second one. Good for him. This time making sure... It was made stronger to avoid failing again. In addition, this time he made his own cannonball and gunpowder. He I, made his own gunpowder. Apparently. I don't know how you do that. Black powder and sulfur. 
Well, I suppose you could buy that at like the dollar store. You during actually this could, time. yeah. Go down Nin- to the drugstore and get the shit. Okay, he's born forty three. He's probably like nineteen fifty. What five six? Yeah, so, yeah. Bet. You could probably buy that shit. I bet you could pop down to the chemist. <laughs> now, apparently, when Bob successfully fired off his second cannon, his father Philip was quite proud of his accomplishments. But the explosion from the cannon had shook the neighborhood windows, and they weren't very happy about that. That's funny. <laughs> That's my. I was listening to this podcast the other day called uh, RT, mm. and the guy who's about this age, I would say fifty something, you know, something like that, mm. was raised back then. He was trying to make napalm in his microwave. Oof. No, on the stove, he was making, oh. he was cooking gasoline on the stove to make napalm, and it worked. And his dad, who was a chemist, came home and was like, "Why does the inside of my house smell like a garage? Why does it smell like gasoline?" Yeah. And once he explained it, he's like, "Actually, that's correct." But when the mom got home, not happy. Is that how you make it? I guess so. You th- boil it and you add styrofoam and stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah. My my, uh, I think young Bob's gonna remind me a lot of young Joshua. Oh. Um, but he always told me that you just take gas and styrofoam and then it fuses together. Then you got napalm. You need a grip of those yeah. coolers is what you need. The styrofoam coolers. Unfortunately, I don't know if Josh ever made a cannon at the age of 12, but he was a crafty little I bastard. bet he's done it since then. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, after successfully building a functioning cannon, he decided to put his hands at building a glider that was just big enough to fit one human rider. Jesus. And once you know it, he pulled it off. His plan, once it was constructed, was to launch it off a nearby hill, presumably to give himself enough speed to launch into the air and fly. But his mother, Lucille, <laughs> thought, maybe that's just slightly too dangerous of an activity for a 12-year-old to be attempting. Yeah. Now, because Lucille knew Bob was a coy little shit, she made sure to tie the glider to the house right outside her bedroom window. Smart. No sneaky shit coming from Bob there. That's smart. Because, yes, that would have been ADD date <laughs> date night one. Sneak out, get glider, go to the hill. I mean, maybe we, if he did try it, we wouldn't even have D.V. Cooper. Seriously. He might have been dead. He might have been dead boy Cooper. What's Is Radio Flyer, do they do that with a little wagon? Yeah, the little wagons. Yeah, is that that's like about the abused boy right Isn't abused it? boy in radio flyer what is radio flyer is like a wagon company no they but it's a movie wag- right oh i don't know i didn't see it i think it was a movie and like the father is abuse an abusive drunk and they're trying to get away from him and they make the little radio flyer like fly i think well that sounds depressing it as is. shit bro. it is i feel like it has mel gibson in it too did but. they die at the end i don't remember like did they go off the hill and then get sploshed <laughs> because they just carts can't they fly just flew off somewhere yeah, i mean yeah i hope they you, just hit do you remember grass. that disney movie where that girl had like the little glider plane where she flew along with the geese on their migration yes yeah on disney channel mm-hmm. was that a disney channel movie i think it was yeah it was I- called like leader of the pack or something <laughs> it was terrible they need to make that movie, but with Brad in it, with like a, a fifty cal gun on there. <laughs> that's what he would do. I'm not. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that's what he would do. Yes, he would get up on there. He would be like, "Yes, I'm your mama now," and then he would shoot them all. <laughs> <laughs> Come, my freeties. All right. Now, from what little examples I've get given, Bob, for the most part, seems like a very intelligent, ambitious young man so far. 
but he did show signs of having a darker side, but not necessarily to serial killer levels. But there always seems to be one distinct feature about Bob that will kind of be his calling card throughout life. He was the type of person who needed to be constantly challenged. He needs to have something that he's working towards, or he gets bored and distracted that we're going to find out. School kind of did that to him. I could see it. I mean, think about Walzer. Think about our time at Walzer. Right. That's the fucking bored and distracted capital of the world. Is it ironic that to avoid us from getting bored and distracted, we read about criminals? Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) wow, what an insane thing. And then we talk about them. I love it. Now, when he gets bored and distracted, it brings out his darker side of his personality. A prime example of this involves Bob and his BB gun. Yeah. Now, I assume the following event occurred after he had completed his guider and had it impounded by his mother. (laughs) Now, Bob had already upset his neighbors because he was shooting the BB gun outside of their homes. But, again, fairly harmless. That's nothing. That's, I feel like Josh did that. Uh, okay? I did that. You did that, too? Yes. My grandpa had a BB gun. We He would make little paper targets, and we would shoot them at the wall. Mm. Well, his neighbors, I think, were like hundreds of feet away, so. Well, that's the dumbest mm. I've ever heard, because <laughs> those little BB guns don't shoot that far. It sounds like he was running, like, he was shooting directly outside of, like, their window. Okay. I, I They're still know. not loud. No, no, no. Maybe they know he's a little shit because of the cannon stuff. Yeah. That could be. I don't know. But anyway. Uh, but the main event in this story involves his sister, Linda Lee. Now, Linda Lee was just sitting on the porch when, for no reason at all, Bob just approached her and pointed the BB gun directly at her face, practically touching her upper lip. Now, Linda Lee just assumed this was Bob being a prank, being the prankster that he was, and Linda Lee said, What are you doing? Bob replied, I want to see you flinch, because I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm not going to flinch. I'll pull the trigger. The gun's empty, but I'll pull the trigger if you don't flinch. After a moment, Bob did in fact pull the trigger. Now, the BB gun was unloaded, but apparently... It had pushed out the air with enough force that it hit her lip hard enough to make it swell. Mm. Now, in the end, you could just put this up to a dumb kid not realizing the damage an empty 1950s BB gun could do. (laughs) But that isn't really the important part. The bigger issue is that Linda Lee, even after many, many years, would always remember that Bob wasn't sorry for hurting his sister. He was sorry that he got in trouble in the first place, yeah. which kind of gives you the idea of the type of personality Bob actually possesses. He wants to do these things, mm-hmm. and but he wants to get away with them. He, What we're going to learn is I think he likes to push the boundaries and see how far he can go to get out of everything. I kind of like that as long as it's not physical. <laughs> like, if it's physical, then you're, like, fucking people up. Yeah, he's he's not a good guy. How many how many times did you and your bros shoot each other BB guns? Uh, a few. few. I mean, Roman candle fights were pretty mm, common. That's classic. Yeah, I I've gotten shot with a BB gun more times than I can count. It oh yeah, feel great. Didn't you and your buddies used to like drive to each other's houses and kick the doors in and shoot each other <laughs> with BB guns and stuff? No, we just did it at one kid's house, and that was uh, mainly airsoft guns slash BB guns slash paintball guns. That's a, I mean, that's a multifaceted attack. Mostly airsoft. They were the most. The yellow ones? Yeah, I got shot. Dude, 
it popped up on my YouTube feed like airsoft people dressed up in camo. Oh. He's like, oh, I got this secret rifle. I'm doing a secret mission oh. shooting all these guys. And he's like being all tactical and shit. And I'm uh. like, ah. Remember the one kid who he he burned his patch on the grill. So he went up to him and like shot him in the face with a full auto. It was on those cringe vids we used to watch yeah, all the time. Well, this guy could definitely be on a cringe video. Mm. My God. Anyway. Now, it seems like after the BB gun event, Bob started to get himself into more and more trouble. He would start to commit little petty crimes, which we aren't exactly sure what he did. But Linda Lee would say that they were things that most people would have went to jail for. (laughs) A huge aspect of Bob always avoiding trouble was because Bob was known to be very charismatic, a smooth talker, a prolific liar, and could almost always talk himself out of trouble. Sounds like a little con man to me. Uh, Sounds like he, a little con man in he, training. He is... I. Once you start hearing, like, once you start getting to the crazy part, like, the shit he talks talks other people out of or into or whatever, it's just insane. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. It's crazy. Now, an additional reason why Bob started to commit these petty crimes is because Linda Lee claimed he started to become really obsessed with money. Hmm. Which, as we will find out, going through Bob's life might be just an understatement. You like jerk? It was he was sexually obsessed with it. Well, he did a lot of bad shit to acquire money. Mm. So <laughs> mm. he does about anything he can to get money. I love it. Hustle. <laughs> when Bob was fifteen and attending Santa Cruz High School, his report card started to look. Not so hot. Mm. He had four Fs, mm. three Ds, and 44 class cuts. Holy shit. And probably because Bob figured school wasn't making him any money, it was just a waste of time. So he decided to drop out of high school at the age of 15. Some say an additional reason for him dropping out is because Bob had actually gotten two girls pregnant already. Wait, is this guy the Dosecki's most interesting <laughs> man in the world? Age 15... Two pregnancies. 44 class cuts. Yeah. He he's three Ds, I'll shit. tell you. He's got more than three Ds if he's <laughs> slinging in like that, I'll tell you that much. He's a ladies' man. 15 years old, two bitches pregnant. Mm-hmm. They're not bitches. They're no. female women. Young, impressionable ladies, That's probably. Right. I was listening to rap music on the way over, so I apologize. <laughs> now, with one of the teenage pregnancies, Philip and Lucille actually went out to the home of the pregnant girl to help find a family for the baby to be adopted after it was uh, born. It's pretty well documented that Philip and Lucille were always helping Bob get out of trouble They were as well. his little janitors. He would yeah. make a mess, and they and would follow him around and up. sweep it on up. <sighs> now, a really interesting event occurred in 1960 when the family took a trip to Arizona. Shut up, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he knows this guy. I'm going to ask him later Ask him. (laughs) Uh, Bob would have been around 16 years older at this point. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Bob loved airplanes. He loved flying. And he was about to meet someone he would really look up to. That being his uncle, who conveniently was named John Ed Cooper. Son of a bitch. What are the odds? This guy's him. What? This guy is him. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. This guy's D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Well, wait. We're, we're, Bob Rostrack. He's <laughs> fucking... Rackstraw. Bob Rackstraw is D.B. Cooper. There's no question. Oh, don't worry. We got plenty more connections to go through here. Now, wouldn't you know it, John Cooper was a skydiver, and by the time he died, 
He had logged over 2,000 jumps. He likes to he likes to get out of that airplane, I guess. Uh, at least he's not a coward. We need to put the number of completed flights with John Cooper versus the number of uh, times he jumped out of the plane. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, he only took five trips, but he has 2,000 jumps uh-huh. out of a plane. <laughs> he really he's, he doesn't like flying. No, he fucking hates it. <laughs> now, during the entire trip to Arizona... Bob would just follow John Cooper around asking him all sorts of different questions about flying and skydiving. Now, like we said, this could be just a huge coincidence that Bob's uncle was a skydiver with the last name Cooper. But uh, but one thing we do know for certain is that his uncle Cooper certainly inspired Bob's choices when he joins the military in a few years. Is he going to the Marine? We'll get there. Oh, my God. Trust me. I think you're going to like his Vietnam stories. Oh. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty wild. I love it. I love it already. (laughs) Uh, But we have a few other young Bob stories before we get there. After Bob dropped out of high school, he decided it was time to start working. Let's get to it. But there might be things like getting a license and maybe a age restriction getting in the way of him getting a job. But Oh, yeah. He was 15 at the time. Yes. Right. But stupid things like that aren't going to stop Bob. Fuck that. Like I mentioned, Bob was a prolific liar, and he could convince most people the bullshit story he was telling was actually true. For example, at the age of 16, Bob lied about his age and concocted a story to get himself hired working as a cement truck driver for Graham and Sons Concrete Company. He apparently would also work as a hard hat at several other construction sites as well. Now, some of you might be making a comparison about our missing boy, Jordan and Bob Rackstraw. Jordan is Bob (laughs) Rackstraw. So let's add another layer. At the age of 18, Bob helped put together a band along with four other men who called themselves the Insanos. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently in their flyers. The members were dressed in black pants, uh-huh. red shirts, and sombreros. Oh, they're going for like a Latin feel. Uh-huh. They then posed with their instruments on top of an army tank. <laughs> wow. <gasps> I see what happened to Druid now. They didn't have a tank. They didn't have a tank. They got fucking alphaed by the Insanos. And they didn't have uh, like a matching getup. That's true. Yeah. They were just wearing basic bitch jeans, dockers, <laughs> black shirt. Too many affliction shirts. That's that's the problem. <laughs> that's always been the problem. Now, they might have actually been slightly good because they would travel around a little bit playing in such places as Lake Tahoe, Reno, and Salt Lake City. They got the Mormons on board. <laughs> I guess so. I guess the Mormons like the Insanos. I wonder if they played at the, uh, t- what's it called, Tabernacle? What's the big... Is that the name of their venue? I don't know. Oh, my I, God. I don't know anything about Mormon. The Those records I had, there was multiple records of the Mormon Tabernacle Orchestra. Really? I don't know what that is, but... Maybe that is what the big thing is called in the Salt Lake. I, I figured a tabernacle was just like a big group of instrument players. Oh, no. I know it's not that. No? No, I know it's not that. It mm. must be something. Like, uh, at first, I thought it was their holy book. Okay. But it yeah. might be that giant temple that they have over there in Salt Lake City, too. <laughs> hey, LDS, you can go to our website and email us now. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you see our first email from some asshole uh, robot? Yeah, I would assume. <laughs> it's a very good message from a robot. Yeah. But, uh 
Now, hey, fill that fucking thing up with real emails, yes, please. Yes, please. Do. And like, it's so easy. I even tested it. Yeah, you don't even have to open an email, no, Clement. No. Nope, it's so nice. Now, at one particular show, one of Linda Lee's friends named Gail Marks, that's not her real name, the okay. book doesn't include her real name, who at the time was 15 years old. Hmm. Gail will eventually become Bob's first wife. I'm hmm. not clear if they were dating at this point or not. But we do know that Linda Lee strongly would urge her to stay away from Bob and definitely do not marry him. The biggest reason she said this, outside of just being a good friend, was because Bob was seeing another woman (laughs) around the same time he's about to propose to Gail. Bob cheats on his ladies a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Somehow Bob was known for being a bit of a ladies' man, which, from what I can tell... Like I said, he's cheating on almost every single girlfriend or multiple wives he's about to have. What is that? What drives you to do that? I th- I think he just likes the action. Like, he just likes the... Just needs it. He likes to know that he can get away with it. I've heard that about Channing Tatum as well. He's a cheat. Isn't he? He he's goes so both ways, horny. right? Yeah. He's Men just so with, horny. He just wants a hole. He can't be monog- monogamous. <laughs> just like Jaina Pinkett Smith? Yeah. He has a lot of, uh, what does she call them? Entanglements. Yeah. He's got a lot of entanglements. That's correct. Dude, that is the cringiest video, by the way. Watch that, please. It's yeah. so cringy. Get on it. Poor Will Smith. He, well, does, he doesn't like being a cuck. No, probably not. <laughs> now, outside of his infidelities, Bob is a young man also liked to drink. Maybe not to an alcoholic level, but certainly was reckless when he did it. Now, I'm not certain the age... But one of the kind of funny stories that happened in his teenage years, Bob and one of his friends had been out drinking, and Bob was driving his friend home, it appears. Because they were both blitzed, Bob would accidentally drive the car right into his friend's house. (laughs) But because Bob was a smooth talker, he convinced his friend's parents not to tell the cops and definitely don't tell Philip and Lucille. I can't remember if I told this on here, but Granny... Granny's covered? Granny's house got ran into by her <laughs> drunk neighbor who thought yeah. it was their he thought it was their driveway and he backed into their house. Who did they do a lot of damage? Not really. He did a lot more damage to his truck than he did the house, oh, luckily. Really? Yeah. This sounds like he like was coming in the driveway and he like smashed the side of their house. Wow. Like fucked it up. Wow. So, I don't know. They just were like, No harm, no foul, boys. <laughs> It's the uh, 60s. Everybody's driving drunk, by the way. Absolutely. There's no seatbelts and everybody's loaded. Let's talk about a uh, 1960s police station here. Sounds good. In another event involving drinking at the age of 20, he was pulled over for driving erratically and it was very clear that he was wasted. But to make matters worse, he decided to give the officers a fake ID. (sighs) Knowing it was a fake, he was promptly arrested. Now, as... As mentioned, Philip had helped Bob get out of trouble several times, but Philip seems to be just tired of Bob's bullshit and told the police, just fucking let Bob sit in jail. Good. Now, apparently, after just one hour of him being in the jail cell, the fire department needed to be called. Wow. Bob claimed that he had fallen asleep with a cigarette in his mouth and caught his cod on fire. Keep in mind, if you did this today, you're probably going to be charged with damaging jail property. Yes. But the cops knew of Bob's antics 
and just told him, get the hell out of here. Oh, they just released they him. They just released I'm telling you, that is 1960s police work. They're like, you are too much trouble. I yeah. don't care. Go. I, I think what they're leaning on is that he set the fire on purpose just so he could get out. Sure. Because he's crafty. Now, two days later, this is kind of funny. A local paper had this headline about the event. Youth had hot time in jail. <laughs> Why don't we have good newspaper <laughs> like this anymore? So good. Finally, at the ripe old age of 20, on March 14, 1964, Bob, along with three of his Insano's bandmates, decided to head to the National Guard Armory and join the California Guard. Linda Lee said, The military was a good thing for him, giving him structure and focus, and then, of course, he loved guns. <laughs> he loved explosives. He loved all that shit. He's just a good American man here. Yeah. Explosives and guns incredibly fun <laughs> but you ever have an m80 before no i think i'd like the littler ones those quarter sticks of dynamite yeah. are beautiful kind of hurt hurt your eardrums yeah. a little bit and if you put them on a mcdonald's cup which is what john Polenny, my father did you, there's no mcdonald's cup no more that's you didn't for sure. flush it down the toilet no we like our house <laughs> and our plumbing <laughs> i feel like that's like a 70s prank like kids in the 70s that's what they did yes now, jo and banana in the tailpipe. Right. Mm. We need to try that with Jordan. Mm. Now, joining the military wasn't a big shock because Philip was actually a World War II veteran himself. And Adam, you're going to like this. Okay. So, yeah. Philip actually has a pretty insane story about his time during World War II. He was fighting in Japan Oof. and eventually had gotten captured and became a prisoner of war. Oof. Now, when the American soldiers stormed the area, the Japanese were keeping a bunch of their POWs. The Japanese quickly threw them into a large pit and started to execute all of them by shooting wildly into the pit. <sighs> now, Philip miraculously did not get shot and just had to play dead to avoid detection. Philip was so weak from being underfed and abused during the capture, he couldn't even climb out of the pit after the Americans had taken possession of the area. But they started to pull the bodies out to mail them back home. And it just so happened that one of Philip's closest friends would be the one to discover him alive. God damn. What are the odds of that? God damn. That is crazy. So as you can imagine, when Bill, uh, Bob signed up for service, Philip was exceptionally proud of sure. him. Sure. After the Insano's band members enlisted, they decided to change the name of their band to the Stormtroopers. <sighs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. This isn't like T-R-R-T-R-O-O-P-E-R-S. Uh, it's T-R-O-U-P-E-R-S. Yes, as if they're a traveling troop. But yes. still, Star Wars was not out at the time, no. so you can't even claim that that's... Uh, the, the book thing. points out this was way too early for the veterans of World War II. Oh, yeah. They were not okay with that. I mean, that's yet. like 17 years since World <laughs> yeah. War II ended. Yeah. A few months after this, uh, he would be sent to Fort Ord and Fort Irwin in California for advanced training. And it just so happened that, that Bob's unit would actually be dispatched to do crowd control during the Watts riots. Mm. Now, this is a truly shocking statement from a man like Bob, especially once we learn about all of his antics. But he claimed that after the military informed the unit to be prepared to shoot the crowd if necessary. It disturbed him more than anything he will see in Vietnam. That, it just makes sense. It, uh, it does. 
But what I'm saying, well, you'll find out how he's not a serial he killer. He's just no, looking out for him. You know, yeah, he doesn't want to shoot innocence. He said, he said, hearing to shoot American citizens did not sit right with him. No, that's fucked. Even though he's gonna probably kill a lot of people in Vietnam. Well, they didn't see him as people. That yeah. was the ease. That was the easiest way to go. You didn't see them as people. You saw them as the bad word that starts with the letter G. Mm, and oh, they yes. weren't humans. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes. But uh, I thought that was crazy, man. Mm. I mean. Even the coldest of psychos can mm. have a, 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 you know, right, not a righteous side, but like a, they know the difference between right and wrong. Absolutely. Mm. Now, roughly about three months after that incident, Gail Marks and Robert Rackstraw would finally get married. <laughs> I think Bob would have been about 20 and Gail would have been around 16 or 17, sure. somewhere in there. I guess it fits with the time. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, shortly she after. She was almost barren by then. 17? That's almost, she's almost at the end of her life. Can she even have kids by then? This is 1960. I figured she can't even have kids. She should have, should have had six or seven by now. Yeah, if you don't have your first one at 12, I don't know. Uh, interestingly, shortly after their marriage, a woman from the California Department of Child Sur- uh, Support Services came to their home, claiming that Bob was an estranged father for the second girl he had gotten pregnant in high school. <laughs> I'm assuming they're looking for child support has or to something. Be. has to be. But being that Bob was a smooth talker, he was able to wiggle his way out of that entire ordeal. On top of that, Bob was able to smooth talk Gail into not thinking too much about <laughs> that little scenario there. That was a long time ago. Don't worry about my bastard that I have running around. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How do you do that? Ugh. That's How do you do that? You just married, Ugh. and you don't even tell her about any of that. Here's what I think. Mm. Unless you're rich, like, let's say you have a giant contract in a major sport. Mm-hmm. If you can't guarantee that kid's health and safety until you're 18, you can't be going just spreading it around. <laughs> like, in athletes, I bet they have a little bank account set up for each one of their illegitimate mm, children mm. that'll make sure they're okay until they're 18. I was just talking about uh, to someone that Adrian Peterson is allegedly broke. He's out of money? $100 million. He has a lot of kids. Yeah. So I'm assuming that's where all the money... That and gambling. Oh. That and gambling. Oh, yes. Plus CTE. That doesn't help with gambling. <laughs> when you're already a gambleholic, if your brain turns into a scrambled egg, it makes Not it even good. worse. It turns your impulses up to 11. I would assume that's why he took a million-dollar contract with the Detroit Lions. He needs money. Right now he did? He did, yes. Holy shit. <laughs> One million dollars? Yeah. Is that... What's the league minimum? That is league minimum. Holy for shit. Veterans. Yeah. He need yeah, he needs money. Oh. Now, Gail and Bob would eventually have three children of their own, although as we will find out as the story progresses, Bob is not a good husband. He was a <laughs> drunk, he was controlling, not the best father, and he was physically abusive towards Gail. Oh, he liked to lay hands, did Yeah, he? he's not good. Tough guy. Now, with Bob doing his advanced training at the base in California, he really started to excel with the military techniques he was being taught. In particular, Halo. High altitude, low opening. Hell yeah, you've heard that before? Oh yeah. Parachute jumping. Oh yeah. Convenient. Scary. <laughs> and also, Fitting. he would know the right uh, angle for the flaps to be at in order for a successful jump to happen. Just wait till you hear all the training this man has. Oh. He, he knows what he's doing. Have you seen a halo jump? You should look uh, one up on YouTube. They're so scary because it is low fucking altitude that they open. 
They we, jump from way like thirty five thousand feet or something, and then they don't open until they're like almost at the floor. Is is it made so you can like get in covertly? Absolutely. I Sounds terrifying. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> now, because of his success, he was quickly rising up the ranks. By January of 1967, now Corporal Robert W. Rackstraw, who... He's got two little uh, uh, chevrons on his shirt. Is that what that is? Is that how you get a corporal? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Hell yeah. He, by the way, we're going to learn he loves his medals. Oh, I bet he does. <laughs> I bet this guy does. Uh, he had recently joined the U.S. Army Reserves and was transferred to Fort Benning in Georgia. Hmm. He spent four weeks here training at Infantry Jump School. Mm-hmm. That's well, where they trained in uh, Band of Brothers. That's where their it? jump school is, Fort Benning, yeah. Really? Oh, is, uh, no, he goes to the Green Beret School. Are those Green Berets in that? Uh-uh. No? Okay. Paratroopers. Mm, paratroopers. Mm. I need to watch that. You need to watch that. I need to watch that, and I need to watch the new Ridley Scott show on HBO. Apparently, it's really good. Lovecraft? No, 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 oh. no. It's like a, it's an... Not alien, but it's like androids and shit. Okay. I can't remember the name of it. Apparently, it's good. Uh, all right. Well, tell me when you find out. Uh, he he spent four weeks here training at the infantry jump school, followed by eight weeks of demolition training at Fort Bragg, mm. and then started taking his preparatory classes to become a sergeant. By the, by the summer of 1967, he would earn his reserve sergeant stripes. Got that, a few more on there. That's uh, three stripes. Three chevrons. Wait, do you know all the ranks and stripes? No, but uh, I actually I might be able to for the army just because of all the movies I've seen. Well, I we, hope I'm not wrong about it. Well, we got he's got a lot more ranks. Hopefully, he can keep up. All right, him. all right. He would then start spending weekends training with the U.S. Navy Reserve in scuba, underwater demolition, and wep- weapons practices. Shit, man, this guy's trying to be a warrior. <laughs> he's trying to be a commando. He. I, w- I bet he would like to have been Rambo. Fuck yes! Uh, in July of 1968, Bob would take a 10-week course at the renowned Special Warfare School at Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. This is where they train the G- Green Berets. Mm-hmm. Now, his courses included 140 hours of Special Forces operations and 130 hours of psychological operations. Ugh. The funny thing about the training for PSYOPs, according to his sister Linda Lee, this is out of her mouth, all it did was teach him to sharpen his already developed skills and manipulation and made it easier for made it easier for Bob to just lie to people. Sure. Because if they're doing all these psychological ops on him, he's learning all of them. He's absorbing it like a sponge and he can turn it around on other people. Do you think like you need to be that type of person to be PSYOPs? I like think you, you need probably to be, have to be fucked a little bit. Yeah, you need to be, like, manipulative, and, yeah. like, you gotta be a liar. You gotta be cold, too. Mm. You, nothing can rattle you. <laughs> uh, nothing rattles Bob, I that's, can tell you that's that. That's the most dangerous people, anyway, <laughs> yeah. is the people that show no emotion, no mm. matter what. It's funny, when we're gonna talk about some of his Vietnam missions, other soldiers with him is like, this dude ain't even sweating. He just doesn't, like, danger, not even sweat. Surrounded dude. on all sides, <laughs> yeah. getting RPG'd. He's just like, this is this is fun. Woo! This is a good time. <laughs> That's what I signed up for. Now, while he was training at the Special Warfare School, he discovered something that was of high interest to him. That being the new line of helicopters, which included Huey Slick, mm. Cobra Snake, uh, Cayuse Loach, and the CH-47 Chinook. Chinook. <laughs> That's the double, double uh, rotor. Oh, is the Chinook the first one like that? 
Uh, I think so. Yes, yeah. I think so. I think that's the two dual, and that's you know what those are. Mm. Mm-hmm. The uh, these helicopters, like we know them now, but I think at this time they were top secret, cutting edge. Yeah. yeah. So he loves them, but in order for him to be allowed to become a helicopter pilot, he would need to become a full time U.S. Army soldier, which he promptly did. Fuck, man. Now it appears that his wife Gail was still living in. He Cal- was a reservist Green Beret. No, 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 no. He was at the school that taught Green Berets. Oh, he didn't go to Green Beret school. He did not go to Green Beret. He'll lie that he did. Okay. But he was just training at the fort that trains Green Berets. Okay. (laughs) If you want to be a Green Beret, apparently you have to go here. Yeah. So now Gil was still living in California the entire time Bob is doing all of this military training. Naturally, he would inform Gail of his plans that he had just joined the Army (laughs) full-time. Now, this is going to lead into the Bob lying thing. For some reason, he told her that he was actually joining the Green Berets, which she wouldn't actually find out was a lie until the authors of the book showed her pictures proving that he wasn't actually a Green Beret. Damn. So for like 40 years. He was stolen valoring his yeah, wife. Yeah. He lies about his rank for some reason. All the shit he did is pretty admirable. Fuck yes, dude. Well, he like did Navy training. Yeah. He did scuba, high altitude, low opening jump, like Why land, say- air, and sea. And he's like, going to be a helicopter pilot. Why do you need to be a Green Beret too? That's the thing, like, his sister will say he just lies for no reason. Like, he doesn't need to lie, he just lies. That's in, that's that's a problem person. Yeah. Like, why yeah. would you do that? Maybe I now know. I'm getting into, like, I'm questioning psychology, <laughs> and there's no point well, to that. Well, I, I know people who just lie for no, when they don't even need to. I'm sure you've met people yeah. like that. I know, it's weird. Hoagster. Right. He lied about his street rank. Mm-hmm. Five-star general. <laughs> Now, finally, at the end of 1968, Bob would enroll at the primary helicopter school at Fort Walters in Texas. After five months of training here, he trained for another four months in advanced flight training to be able to fly the Huey Slick and the Loach surveillance helicopters. Finally, on May 19th, 1969, Robert Rackstraw officially graduated from his advanced flight training. His reward for graduating... Well, he was going to join the ongoing war in Vietnam. Yeah, have fun in the meat grinder. (laughs) Officially on June 25th, 1969, the newly minted Warrant Officer Rackstraw landed down in Saigon. Mm. It seems that Bob would be stationed at a five square mile fire base located at, I think this is Phuc Vinh. That sounds right. (laughs) I don't I would assume it's Fook Vin. I love the name, by and the way. And he's he will be there as a pilot? Is he going as a helicopter pilot? We're, well, he thinks he is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the way those guys fly? Uh-uh. You need to watch the Ken Burns Vietnam as well. They do a whole thing about, like, they are flying rotor to rotor. It makes no sense right. how they don't crash into each other. Wait till we talk about the special... Actually, I'll be curious if you know about the special operation he kind of joins. Okay. Maybe he brought it up. I would assume they would. They, that's how they fly, I guess. Uh, now, for most of the soldiers, they couldn't wait to get the fuck out of a place like this. But, mm-hmm. but, but for a person like Bob, he just ate this shit up. And as we would find out, he kind of loved it. Let's talk about some of the weirder aspects of being at this space. Firstly, it appears a lot of the men stationed here like to give each other nicknames such as Bugger, Baby San. Baby ba- San. Baby San. 
Ben Gay, <laughs> Mad Dog, and my fa- personal favorite, Chicken Man. Chicken Man. Don't know what that means. <laughs> they would use uh, acronyms like FNG. It's the FNG. You ever, you ever play Call of Duty Modern Warfare? Oh, yeah. It's the FNG. Oh, is that what they call him, the fucking new guy? Yeah. And then they call him a had a Muppet like you get picked for this operation. <laughs> well, that's like the Scottish soldiers, isn't it? Or that's, the British? That's Captain Price, yeah. Mm. Captain Price. Fubar. Fucked up beyond all recognition. Figmo. I don't know that one. Uh, fuck it. I got my orders. Oh, Figmo. <laughs> Wetsu. <laughs> we eat this shit up. Nice. Or our REMF. Rear echelon motherfuckers. Mm. Apparently, that's like the generals thing. That's what they like to say. That's the bitches in the back. <laughs> the rear echelon motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, I want to read this little quote from a retired sergeant named Ronald uh, Roland Haynes about a story he remembers. A soldier was having a time with one of the ladies in the bushes when a helicopter flew overhead and hovered over the couple for a minute, then flew on. The chopper belonged to the battalion commander, who later in his infinite wisdom, put the hole off limits. Of course, the troops were upset, but the firebase's medics claimed this drop clap rates to almost nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently, the uh, soldiers and sex workers, this is kind of where they met up In the bushes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just love that. The clap rates are going way down. I haven't had to give out penicillin in weeks. <laughs> now, Bob would be assigned to the 11th General Support Aviation Group. The Ash and Trash <laughs> Chopper Pilots were essentially assigned to provide immediate troop transport, surveillance, logistics assistance, resupply, and chauffeur services for commanders, chaplain, dignitaries, or VIPs needing a lift. Terrible. But Bob was assigned to the group's maintenance hangar because of his prior mechanics experience. He's a goddamn wrench turner. Mm-hmm. That's not what he wanted when he <laughs> no. got when he got to the shit. When he got to the big money, that's not what he was expecting. You think he's gonna actually listen to his orders? Come on. I think he's gonna steal a helicopter and go try <laughs> and fly it to Vietnam or all the all over North Vietnam. You're damn right. <laughs> It was here Bob would meet a big Texas roughneck named Joe C. Sh- uh, Schlein, a Schlin, one of the two. Now Bob and Joe would get themselves into all sorts of an- all sorts of antics because they were in charge of keeping the choppers repaired. They would often scavenge crash sites looking for parts uh, they could use. Awesome. But they would also steal all sorts of weaponry and explosives. A fellow pilot named Wayne Olmsted said this about Rackstraw. He was fearless, a very likable guy, if a little crazy. <laughs> he always had unauthorized weapons around, like a Browning Army rifle, which is a BAR, AK-47s, and grenade launchers. <laughs> he would also make these satchel charges. Joe liked the action just as much as Rack. Ah, uh, yeah, he sounds like your typical crazy man. That's amazing, though. They're <laughs> they're uh, Charlie and Frank when they go through yes. the garbage piles. They're just fucking. This is electrics. <laughs> you ready to get dark here for a minute? Yeah, I suppose. All right, now Joe and Bob were known to go on freelance missions. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. taking their choppers out on mm-hmm. un- unauthorized flights if questioned. They would just use the excuse that this was simply a repair test flight. Gotta make sure the rotors are working, bro. I guess nobody's gonna care, right? No. Now, occasionally, they would look for an enemy tunnel hole. 
They would then land and set up a tripod machine gun, and one guy would drop a satchel charge down the hole. We aren't sure which one, perhaps both, but they would just sit there and shoot anybody coming out of the hole. That is, this is ball city, because Mm -hmm. you land your chopper in enemy territory, two guys, Mm -hmm. and you just are like, I'm just going to waste a billion of these dudes right now. That's what they said. The, like the chopper was running the whole time they did this. So they I hope things. so, for God's sakes. But you can see he just like he 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 needs to get in on the action. He just needs to like I don't know adrenaline junkie. I, I guess don't know. I what don't a know. Sicko. What a sicko! Uh, the two also apparently stole the commander's jeep and mounted a fifty cal machine gun to the back of it <laughs> and would apparently just drive it back and forth from neighboring bases. Awesome. <laughs> Now, at some point at the base Bob was stationed at, one day a top-secret helicopter arrived, which was part of what they would call Project Left Bank. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. Really? I'm surprised Ken Bank or Ken Ken. What's his name? Ken Burns. Ken Burns. They, they probably. About it. I bet they did, but that is a long series. Mm. What this was was a Huey helicopter rigged up with a ARDF device, Airborne Radio Detection Finding, basically just their way to triangulate enemy radio locations. Mm. Also, when the fig- signal was found, it would be followed by hunter killers and a Cobra gunship known as the Pink Team. Fantastic. How convenient that... These areas are getting blown to smithereens by something called the Pink Team. Yeah, they also had one of these gunships called Puff the Magic Dragon, and it would clear an area of forests, like, just be done with. Well, it's like you were talking about where they follow really close. Mm -hmm. This is It sounds like that first helicopter finds them, and then that, like, platoon of choppers flying real close comes in takes them all out sounds right that's uh yeah like when they're landing people down they're like they call it leapfrogging i think where they're literally just like using the other people's air resistance to drop the dudes get out immediately and then they They like take they're able to get in the cushion to just get right over the helicopters wow i need to watch that you should ever ever since i like read his thing on vietnam i've like kind of been more interested in like what's going on vietnam was a fuck show yes Oh, yes. Jesus. Now, the main reason this is important is because Bob decided he needed to get in on this action, or at least he was going to attempt to. Now, it just so happened recently that one of the choppers known as The Bad had been (laughs) shot down, killing four men along with two other planes following close behind. After this, Bob approached left bank commander Kenneth L. Overturf, uh, asking to volunteer. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry that's your last name, sir. <laughs> but Bob would need need a top secret clearance. So for the time being, they would grant him a temporary pass. I bet his dick was so hard. Oh, you bet it was. Now, let's give Bob credit here. Flying for the left bank surveillance team would require them to fly the planes at a very low airspeed and fly very low to the ground, mm-hmm. which made them extremely susceptible to attack. The Viet Cong would apparently tie hand grenades and claymores to the very tops of tree branches, and if you flow too close, they detonate them and you're fucking dead. That is terrifying. That's thin metal, too, so it's just rip. the shrapnel's just ripping up through you. That is terrifying. Yeah, you're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, shreds <sighs> of hot metal are ripping through you. <sighs> 
Now, after just six weeks, uh, Bob's time with the top secret left bank came to an end because it seems while they were working on approving Bob's top secret clearance, they decided to pull it for unknown reasons. Could be his arrest records, his teenage pregnancies, his drunk driving record, or even possibly the fact that they were well aware of his domestic abuse. And adultery. That Mm -hmm. was uh, punishable. That was imprisonable in the army, adultery. Right. I didn't even think about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So it's one of those reasons the military never disclosed why. Bob was extremely livid about being removed from the left bank. Yeah, that's his dream assignment. When his fellow soldiers would ask why he was removed from the left bank, he would use the excuse that he had been denied because his family owned a construction company and he had simply gotten too much, too many tickets. What does that mean? He just, he claims he had too many tickets on his driving record. It wasn't his fault. It was more his family's oh, fault. Oh, he was racing around between jobs, maybe. Mm-hmm, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Convenient excuse there. Some of the other men at the base later recalled that even though Bob was no longer with the left bank, Bob apparently would just go on his own rogue missions. <laughs> the other soldiers would also mention a CIA agent who would come to the base occasionally, and Bob and Joe would quickly befriend. Those fucking nerds, of course, because they feel like they're doing that shit already. Well, this is really interesting here. We don't know what exactly they were doing but apparently the cia agent bob and joe would just head off into the jungle for days at a time on a jeep loaded with guns ammo and explosives nobody knows what they were doing in there they just went out there i don't know i would assume attack a base or something i don't know holy shit fucked up Now, eventually, according to Bob, the CIA agent's jeep struck a mine, and the Viacom captured him and killed him. Yeah. Now, as far as the uh, commander's jeep with a gun on it, apparently they started cleaning up the bases. Uh, Bob and Joe strapped the jeep up to a helicopter, flew it into a river, and dumped it in there to hide (laughs) what they were doing. To hide their awesome modification. Yeah, Yeah, they couldn't get, they didn't want to get in trouble for that. Fuck no, I bet you'd be in a lot of trouble for stealing a commander's (laughs) Jeep and mounting a gun to it. Now, Bob actually did do some very good and brave things in Vietnam as well. He would spend his time listening to combat frequencies until he found one that was in need of emergency, of an emergency rescue by transport. Presumably because of this, on March 1st, 1970, the Pentagon records show that he would be awarded a distinguished flying cross for taking a high-risk action above and beyond the call of duty. God damn. Apparently that is like, that's higher than uh, Purple Heart or like anything. Apparently you want that. Distinguished cross, definitely. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, what I'm thinking happened here, right, is... Mm -hmm. It was either he could have been, like, court-martialed and imprisoned for stealing a helicopter and going to rescue these people, or they could turn it into a win for everybody, and luckily for him, they did that. And the other thing I was thinking, (laughs) this guy is everything Leonard Lake wanted to be. Oh, yes, like a a hero. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On April 17th, 1970, Bob was awarded a Silver Star for exceptionally gallant action. Goddamn. The story behind this reward goes... During an intense Viet Cong mortar barrage and ground attack on surrounded American forces, Rackstraw skillfully maneuvered his helicopter into the firebase and quickly completed the vital evacuation of several wounded soldiers. This gotta take fucking balls. 
That ass take fucking balls. Holy shit. Now, all of this got the attention of Brigadier General uh, Robert M. Shoemaker. I don't know why that name sounds familiar. Oh, uh, we just had a shoemaker. Yeah. Yeah. And would assign Bob to work right alongside of him in his command and control aircraft. Wow. He would also earn the new nickname of... Airborne Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> now, with this newfound promotion, he got involved with Project Rock Crusher. Do you know this? This one I do. Yeah, apparently it was Nixon's big push into Cambodia. Giant illegal push into Cambodia, yes. We not were not good. supposed to be there. No. One of the greatest stories of Rackstraw's uh, heroics came shortly after he joined General Shoemaker. One of the fire bases that had been established in Cambodia was hit by a massive ground attack in the middle of the night, which left a bunch of American soldiers pinned down, so Bob and the general headed out on a rescue mission. Now... What was going to make this rescue exceedingly hard was the thick fog blocking any sort of visibility to the ground. (laughs) The only guidance Bob had was from a young radio operator standing by with a portable radio unit. When he flew right over the top of the base, he was slowly making his descent into the fog, having no idea if there could be Viet Cong just waiting to shoot or some sort of other booby trap. But finally, after about 30 feet above the base, the fog finally broke. When they could finally see, there was nothing but enemy bodies scattered everywhere. Some had been shot, and some were completely wrapped up in barbed wire. Goddamn. Like they're trying to get out of the fences? Yeah. What a brutal scene. Now, the shocking thing, it doesn't appear like he was awarded any medal for this rescue mission. But... On June 1st, 1970, he was awarded another Distinguished Flying Cross for doing another rescue mission to a base under assault from heavy mortar and rocket fire and managed to rescue the brigade commander. Goddamn. Now, Airborne Bob would spend about another three months in Vietnam until finally on September 21st, 1970, he returned to Fort Rudker. Probably kicking and screaming. Yeah, he didn't want... Apparently, the the Vietnam soldiers are like, you can only be here for this amount of time, then you have to leave. That's Mm -hmm. what it sounded like. Gotta cycle out. Yeah. At Fort Rucker, he got a job as a test pilot, which included the fancy title Chief of Technology Analysis Section for the Army Army Aviation. God damn, dude. He's got a gravy job here. At Fort Rucker, Gail and the three children would move to live with Bob... By 1971, Rackstraw applied to become certified with the FAA to fly commercial helicopters and give fixed-wing aircraft instructions. He seemed to do this as more of a backup plan for when his military career ended, which is about to happen very soon. He's already laying the groundwork for his next chapter. Now, as mentioned... His wife, Gail, had to endure Bob's abusive ways for several years at this point. He would slap her, throw and break items around the, around the house. Hell, even rip phone lines out of the wall just so she couldn't call anybody. Fuck. Typical abusive shit there. Mm-hmm. Finally, in fe- February of 1971, Bob escalated his violence in an angered state. He ended up grabbing Gail by the throat and was literally choking her to death over the kitchen sink, all in front of their children. Whew. 
After this, Gale finally went to the military police at Fort Rutger, and the commanding officer insisted that Gale and the kids leave and do not stay with Bob, also strongly encouraged her to end her marriage to Robert Rackstraw. Fuck. So Gale thankfully seemed to take his advice, and with the MPs watching, she packed up all of her things, took the children, and drove back to Santa Cruz, California. She would eventually send him divorce papers within the next four months. So Good thankfully, she got the hell away from this it's, asshole. It's kind of too bad that she's the one that had to abandon everything and pick up and uproot her life to get away. But it is very good that she was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Especially, nobody deserves to get whacked around in front of their kids, that's for no, sure. No, absolutely not. Um, You know what the weird thing is? Is that he he's abusive to Gail. All his other wives, they have no stories of abuse. You think maybe he learned his lesson here? <sighs> I don't. I hope so. I don't know. Maybe. Well, the thing we kind of see is from his drinking, he gets very violent. Yeah. So and maybe if he's not, I'm betting his time in Vietnam didn't help. Bro, oh no, absolutely not. They have absolutely not. Speaking of that, Ken Burns, they talked to this uh, uh, Mexican American. Okay. Uh, pilot. He's got a really cool mustache. That's the only. Re- <laughs> that's the only reason I remember he's Mexican American. And he was. This reporter was asking him questions. And he like he was like I grabbed her I almost grabbed her by the throat and was like Do you want to know what it's like you fucking bitch Oof God damn Well they didn't call PTSD back then No But but to be fair he was an asshole before he went there That's true So it probably just made him an even bigger fucking asshole Oof. Now the divorce isn't the only thing that happened They stripped him of his post in Army Aviation, Mm. and essentially he was demoted to be the general's personal driver for the time being. (laughs) Because of this event, they also decided to take a closer look at Rackstraw's past. This is when they discovered that he had not only lied about graduating high school, but he had lied about attending both the University of Southern California <laughs> and San Jose State University. There was a war on. You yeah, gave this guy yeah. two distinguished flying crosses. I think we can fucking forget about the education, all right? <laughs> did he need to did he need to, to, to read Faulkner in order to fly that helicopter to safety? No, no, no. no. But they might have, because he was abusive, maybe they used that as leverage. Just these are the excuses to get rid of him. They're doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. They also found out that Bob had lied about his military rank and medals earned several times. And it was a big thing that once he returned from Vietnam, the local paper in Santa Cruz published an article about him. He was talking about left bank and rewards mm. or, and medals that he had earned. Mm-hmm. He's not supposed to be talking mm-hmm. about that. And that was on a public uh, you know, newspaper source. Did does it's these idiots, these glory hounds like this too. Mm. It's like, how do they not think that's gonna get back to haunt them? The oh, army no. is a big fucking place. There's a lot of army. I I have no fucking idea. He's an idiot. So Airborne Bob then received a general discharge under honorable conditions. All right. Which is slightly below regular honorable discharge. On that exact day, he was discharged from the army, he quit making payments on his leased car, and he headed directly for the Pacific Northwest. Now, isn't it a little strange that Rackstraw should show up in Oregon and Washington State in 1971, the exact year of the D.B. Cooper hijacking? Mm. But Bob is smart. 
he would need to do a little reconnaissance work first. Now, I will say, it seems at this point in the life of Robert Rackstraw is when shit starts to get really weird and wacky. They keep it weird up in Oregon. <sighs> oh, man. Bob's weird all over the place. <laughs> now, the following part I'm going to tell you, <laughs> we can't say with 100% certainty that Bob is the man I'm about to talk about. But from all witness accounts, descriptions, and the timeline, I'm almost positive this is Bob Rackstraw. All right. Now, on July 16th, 1971, a man claiming to be a Swiss noble <laughs> named Baron Norman de Winter. <laughs> <laughs> Baron Norman of Winter? Yeah. Strolled into a small organ town called Astoria. Uh-huh. The mysterious man, <laughs> complete with a shitty European accent, was claiming he had come to America to walk with the people. <laughs> One of the first people in town to interact with Norman de Winter was Paul P.K. Hoffman, who is a 20-year-old pottery uh, sculptor working his little booth. Now, after just a quick glance at the goods, Norman told P.K., that he was he wanted to order almost a dozen of the three foot wide pieces to be made for his chalet in Switzerland. God damn. He said, go ahead and start making them, and he will return in a few weeks to check on the progress. And when they were done, he had his private plane stationed at the town's unsupervised runway. They could just be loaded up right there. Obviously, PK was shocked because this man because this man's order was literally going to be thousands of dollars. So PK wasn't going to turn down an order of this size. You got to take a deposit. Oh, he learns his lesson. You got to take worry. a deposit. He learns his lesson. Don't you worry. Tattoo artists have learned this lesson all throughout history. Because people will make appointments when they're feeling good and have money. And then when it comes, they're broke suddenly. You think pottery and tattoo people are kind of in that same ballpark? There? I think so. Any artist <laughs> yeah. of any kind. Now, what is really interesting about this private plane he spoke of is it is the same plane that Robert Rackstraw had used to fly to visit his parents in their new home in Valley Springs, California, or to visit his uh, sister Linda Lee, who lived in Stockton at this point. Same plane. Mm -hmm. Same exact plane, same tail number and everything. Right, a little Cessna. Uh, later on, Linda Lee would say that Bob would come visit for a couple days at a time, then disappear, presumably to take off back to Astoria. Sometimes he would visit California during the day, then return to Astoria at night. Some, uh, sometimes he would just completely vanish for days, weeks on end, which might explain the following event. What is really even more interesting is that after Baron Norman de Winter first arrived in Astoria, nobody in town would spot him again for two weeks. And as we know, Bob had easy access to the personal Cessna plane sure. that he would use to fly back and forth from California to Oregon or all around California itself. Now, on July 23rd, 1971, about a week after his arrival in Astoria... In Santa Cruz, California, the National Guard armory in town had been bombed and robbed after midnight. Oh. As no surprise, this is the exact same armory that Robert Rackstraw had trained at seven years prior. Mm. 
The robbery was done very late at night and wouldn't even be discovered until the following morning. They discovered that pieces of a pipe bomb had struck a natural gas line causing an explosion that destroyed the entire room. Fucking hell. Now, I had Kelly help, or research assistant Kelly kind of help me look up news articles of this. In the news articles, it seems like the pipe bomb was, the way it was faced, it was uh, leaned up against a door to explode directly frontwards to blow the door open. Okay. And I don't know if it accidentally hit a natural gas line or they meant to do it. I don't really know. We don't know. Yeah. Either they were trying, I bet they were just trying to get the door open yeah. mm-hmm. with the concussive force. And then that they just made a really big hole for themselves <laughs> yeah. when they accidentally, it was a, it was a good thing. Now, with the hole, the perpetrators had gained entry. Based on the damage from inside, more than one person had used sledgehammers, pickaxes, and chisels to break into a walk-in weapons safe. Goddamn. They took a cache of M1 rifles. Oh, I'm so jealous. 45 caliber pistols, machine guns, and grenade launchers. Again, we don't know for certain if he did this. But it was literally a 30-minute plane flight between the armory and Bob's parents' house. So good. And as we know, Bob would come and go from his parents' house or his sister's house in Stockton. On top of that, after the robbery, Robert Rackstraw was definitely on the military's list of suspects, presumably because he had just been discharged from the army. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm assuming he was quite angry. Yeah, because now, he wasn't even given a full honorable, right? He was right. given a discharge under honorable circumstances. Yeah. I'm going to tell this a little preview of part three. Um, we're confirmed he robs and steals explosives and all things like that and gets involved with selling all of that stuff. And he's already an expert at creating yeah. his own explosives, those satchel charges that he was dropping in the tunnels. I think he did this for two reasons. For money, and he did it for a big fuck you to the military. Certainly. That's what I think. And a little shopping trip to get ammo and guns and shit. Well, he's just doing that for money. You think he's selling them? Oh, oh. Yeah, hold on. I'm, oh. we're gonna, we'll come back to that. Is he selling them here. to the Sons of Anarchy? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> now, when Norman DeWinter finally returned <laughs> to Astoria, <laughs> two weeks later, he stopped at the pa- uh, pottery shop to check on his order. And PK said it was progressing. Hmm. Unfortunately, this would be the last time PK would ever see Norman De Winter. Now, or he claimed after this, like we mentioned, he learned you got to get a little money put down in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were interviewing him in 2018 for the book, or probably 1617, he still had two of the pots wow. sitting in his shop. Wow. Waiting to be sold. He sold one of them, though? Yeah, yeah, he... <laughs> Poor bastard. I'm, man, they. I bet people would go get him now. I bet they would. Fuck yeah. He should have marketed himself a little more. <laughs> Another person to interact with Baron Norman de Winter was assistant pastor Wilford P. Willie Whiff- Whiffles. I think that's what okay. Whiffles. <laughs> Too many W's in there, man. <laughs> Apparently Norman had came to the church and spun a tale about how he had came to America with nothing, no money or belongings. After receiving the sacrament and having a personal confession session, Norman told Father he would like to do something nice for him. So Norman told him he was going to charter a flight to have Father and all of his parishioners come join him on a (sighs) all-expenses-paid trip 
to his beautiful home in Switzerland. What an asshole. <laughs> an awesome Swiss vacation. Yeah. Another person who would interact with Norman was a man named Pete Roscoe. Now, the two of them, along with some other locals, headed out to headed out late at night into a 24-hour diner. Mm. Now, Roscoe would later recall that Norman would order a fish stick sandwich. Mm -hmm. And with a complete straight face, Baron Norman de Winter asked the waitress for... Sauce de (laughs) tata. This is an American trying to figure out how foreign or Europeans speak. Especially because he named himself Baron of Winter. Mm -hmm. Sauce de tartare, Baron... (laughs) Sauce de tata. What a fucking dickhead. (laughs) Now, Pete Roscoe was also the owner of a local watering hole, and Norman would come hang out there with all of the locals all of the time. He would order rounds and rounds of beer and chips for everyone, but when it came time to pay, Norman would pull out a $100 bill, which for a small-town bartender at the time would be almost impossible to break. So eventually... The other patrons in the bar would just agree to pay his tab. What a fucking dick. That is a con there, though. What a dick. That is a con. Now, this seems to be kind of what Norman de Winter did. A lot of the citizens in Astoria later said he would just kind of loaf around, stay at random people's houses, eventually make a sob story that convinced whoever he was interacting with to give Norman a few dollars. Now, after not too long, Norman had basically told pretty close to every single person in town that they could be invited on the sponsored trip to Switzerland. All of a story is coming. Yeah. Even Ever though, get in the plane. Even though you don't get have $2 to rub together. <laughs> they don't know that yet. But Norman will be long gone before any of them figure out that's complete bullshit. Hell yeah. Now, sometime around September of 1971, about two months after the robbery of the armory, Bob finally showed back up at his parents' home in Valley Springs, California. Gotta let the heat die down. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing from what Linda Lee would remember after he finally returned was that Bob was claiming he was flying for some real estate guy up in Oregon. Now... While we don't know for certain if he actually was or not, it does seem to make sense that Bob would be scouting the mountain areas all around Oregon Hmm. so he could map out just how to make an easy escape after he pulls off a successful hijacking of Northwest Flight 305 and then jumps uh, out of a plane. Right? Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. It's he. he, This guy is doing everything right. I really... (laughs) I really hate how thorough and, like, smart he is. He is way too goddamn smart. Way too smart. Now, after Bob and Gail divorced, Bob hadn't seen his children in several months. Now, as mentioned, Gail and Linda Lee were very good friends, so Bob would ask Linda if she could convince Gail to allow Bob to see his children. Linda Lee was able to eventually come to an agreement between Bob and Gail to allow Bob to take his kids to Los Angeles to go on a trip to Disneyland. Hell yeah. As long as Linda Lee went with them. Oh, so she gets to go to Disneyland. Yeah. Now, this is real interesting. Now, Linda Lee always wondered how Bob was able to afford the plane tickets, the hotel, uh, hotel fare, pay for everything at Disneyland for himself. 
the children and Linda Lee, presumably because it didn't seem like he had much of a job, and I can't imagine it was cheap at the time. No. Now, this is really interesting. There would be an arrest for the armory robbery. Now, roughly about two months after the robbery, 29-year-old Charles Noel Hess of Salinas, California, was arrested with 16 machine guns, 47 45 caliber automatics, and a grenade launcher, all the weapons that were stolen from the armory. Now, it seems that Charles was also a cocaine dealer. Mm. He would eventually plead guilty for receiving the stolen armor arms for resale kind of sounds like Bob could have been the one selling the weapons to these guys. Bob was certainly the source. Here's the interesting thing I was going to bring up is in part, they were going to learn like Bob, like I said, sells weapons and explosives to drug dealers, uh, militant groups, things like that. So it, it kind of makes sense. He probably was involved in this. He's an arms dealer. Now, the thing, uh, the other thing is with Kelly's research here is that California was experiencing a wave of bombings, apparently, at this point. People were bombing Bank of America, because that was the largest bank in the country at the time. But I think the difference is is that those were anti-capitalist groups Mm. bombing the banks, and this was, this had an objective of getting the firearms, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And the ironic thing, like I said, is Bob's going to end up selling equipment to those groups that bombed the uh, Bank of America banks. Jeez. (laughs) It's just like everything's connected here. (laughs) The whole criminal underworld. And I'm going to read this to Shisemi. I think it's really interesting as well. On July 25th, 1971, uh, there had actually been a flight hijacked by two Cubans who wanted to take the plane to uh, Havana. There was another... A hijacking of TWA flight that was heading to Chicago from a man named Richard Obergfell. I think that's his name. All right. Uh, He hijacked the plane so he could fly it to Italy to be with a girl he had fallen in love with. Wow. He took a stewardess hostage and ended up getting shot and killed by an FBI sniper. Was the stewardess all right? Yeah, she was okay. But here's the interesting thing. I think... Bob is already planning the hijacking, but it's weird there was two other plane hijackings in the exact same year he's about to commit the hijacking. It comes in threes. Mm, I guess. No, I don't know. That's what they <laughs> say about death. Is that, I thought it was the devil. Death comes in threes. <laughs> the devil comes in threes. Yeah, he, the, to mock the trinity. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now, moving forward... Baron Norman de Winter had been continuously <laughs> writing letters to a young man named Jim Mott, who lived in Astoria, who was now attending OSU, which is Ohio State University, or no, <laughs> Oregon State University, the Beavers. Uh, yes. Having previously met Go Jim- Buckeyes. <laughs> having previously met Jim Mott when he was living in Astoria, one day in the second week of October in 1971, Jim received a call from Norman who claimed he was just in the area. Could he stop by for a visit? Naturally, Jim would agree. Now, while Jim was just expecting a friendly visit from the Baron, it morphed into much more than that. Norman started by just staying for a few nights, then eventually turned into living here for a few weeks. So Baron Norman DeWinter would live with Jim Mott, 
Mike Belknap, Brian Glanville, Greg Molby, who is the team's uh, football team split end, and Tom Oswald, the team's defensive end. These were all athletes, by the way, including Tim Is he Tim like Mon- in the dorms or what? Yeah. Well, no, they had a house off of campus. Okay. He just kind of moped around there. God. The only thing he had to do to stay here was perform a few odd jobs and cook at night. Okay, so you make dinner and you are our maintenance man. Basically. Okay. Now, to add another layer of suspicion, Jim would always say Norman would literally be gone the entire day and they had no idea what he was doing. Hmm. But at night, Norman would be home, usually drinking, waiting to see if the boys were taking a trip into town. He liked to go drinking with them. I see. <laughs> Eventually, Baron Norman de Winter completely disappeared from Jim uh, Mott's place on the Friday before Thanksgiving. He didn't tell a single soul, and he just left all of his belongings behind at Jim's place. Wow. Keep in mind, this is less than a week before the D.B. Cooper hijacking. Though we do do know kind of where Norman went. After leaving Jim Mott's home, he headed to a party that was going on at Fred Dross's home. My best friend, Fred Dross. (laughs) Ironically, Fred Dross and Bob Rackstraw were stationed at Fort Ruckner in Alabama together. Although they never actually met each other while at the base. Well, it's a huge base. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the party... Norman Norman came across a heavily intoxicated woman named Gail Downing. Uh Uh-oh. He already had a Gail. (laughs) I guess he likes Gails. I guess so. Uh, And she began flirting with him. Now, Norman didn't reciprocate, and not liking his rejection, Gail bluntly asked him, Are you gay or something? (laughs) God, I hate that. I've been asked that before. Like, I would, like... Never mind. I'm just, I would just be like, Jesus, you're full of yourself. It was a girl at a bar, and like, I I think I asked her why she was wearing a skirt in the middle of winter in yeah. the smoking area, and she's yeah. like, You fucking gay or something? Oh, like, Jesus, tough, bitch. Shut tough up. drunk girl. Yeah. Now, apparently, Gail had just broken up with her boyfriend, so Norman would console her. Gail said this later He said everything a broken hearted woman would want to hear. He really did. For me at 21, he really was the most charming, polite person I had ever met. I recall one of my conversations with him about me living on the island of Hawaii for a year. (laughs) You broke up with your boyfriend? Just moved to Hawaii. Fuck it. He apparently pulled out a Hawaiian shell necklace. Puka shell necklace. Out of nowhere and just gave it to Gail, and she kept it. Oh. Up until the point she was interviewed for the book. I am not kidding you. I'm she, sure he got it at Kmart or something. Probably. <laughs> Why was he carrying it around? I don't know. In ca- yeah, if this guy's as much of a pathological liar as we think he is, he, I bet that was one of his contingencies. <laughs> I got a Hawaii story just in case anyone needs one. Now, the following morning, according to Fred Ross. He just found Norman sleeping in his apartment. (laughs) Now, for some reason, Fred agreed to let Norman stay with them for the next few days. But Norman almost got kicked out because one night, for some reason, in the middle of the night, Norman decided to climb into bed with Fred's brother, who got very upset. Now, Norman DeWinter's reason was uh, for getting in the bed was he was just simply tired of sleeping on the couch. I get it. It's a European thing. I get Don't it. Don't worry yeah. about it. I'm a baron. <laughs> Finally, on November 23rd, day before the hijacking, mm. 1971, 
Just as soon as Baron Norman de Winterhead came, he completely disappeared. And like I said, the following day, the hijacking of Northwest Flight 305 would take place. Later on, when sketches of D.B. Cooper came out, many of the citizens in a story who had interacted with Baron Norman de Winter thought, that looks a hell of a lot like him. <laughs> Bartender Pete Roscoe would say this later. I was sitting in a tavern here in Astoria, home from the University of Oregon for Thanksgiving, and I see the sketch on TV, and I said, that guy was here this summer. That was Norman de Winter. And you know, everybody was really thinking, yeah, right, I don't think so. It was like a cry wolf thing, and nobody paid too much attention. I think Norman de Winter was somewhat embarrassing to some people. And because they were embarrassed, they would rather not talk about it. It's that sort of Lutheran and Scandinavian thing. Don't be embarrassed. Don't lose face. I never let this go. But I didn't pursue it either. I was pursuing my life's path. I didn't care. Okay, he got away. You know, the FBI's going to catch him. They don't need my help. So he could have maybe helped them catch him. Almost anyone in Astoria, based on what he said. But I mean... But that could be him shifting blame on the entire town as well. Right. Well, you can't really blame him because he came in, swooned everybody, promised them this big trip to Switzerland. Yeah. Everybody fell for it and they're like, God, I don't even want to talk about Norman de Winter. That reminds me a lot of Bobby Enfield. Like, oh, yeah. He would promise everyone yeah. a steak dinner if you helped him out. Oh, my God. I think he owed that entire shop we worked at like four steak dinners. Yeah, but he was a drug addict, so we True. just kind of didn't take him seriously. <laughs> he is a crackhead. Bob was just a con man. Yeah. Now, although Bob Rackstraw is going to lay low for a few years, makes sense, mm. outside of getting caught in 1972 for killing a deer without a license, then failing to appear in court. Yeah. Only to have his father, Philip, call the judge claiming his son was in Laos and paid the $125 fee for Bob. Wow. Philip fucking covers Bob's ass so much, dude. When we return in part three, we will find out that Bob Rackstraw is far from done with marriage, his con man aliases, or his criminal life, which will include guns, bombs, drugs, and of course... Murder. Murder. What's fucking crazy, brother? Yes. Is this turned in from, this turned from a D.B. Cooper series <laughs> into a Bob Rackstraw series? Yeah. I never heard of this Bobby Rackstraw. His his life's fucking insane. He's a hero, but not in a good way. He's just an action hero is no. what I mean. Yeah. His, the thing is, because I've been working on part three all week, and I'm like, okay, part two, we're kind of... We slowly get into the weird and wacky. Part three's like all wacky. I'm so excited. It's, he's just like the aliases thing. That's like his calling card. All the lying he does, all the crazy shit he does. We're just we're just not done with him. It's really fucking a lot like Leonard Lake. Yeah, a lot like Leonard Lake. Just uh, in his like, but the real version of him, <laughs> not the fucking bullshit version that Leonard. He, did. he uh, I, I mean, he's he definitely. We're pretty sure he killed somebody, and he definitely killed a lot of people in Vietnam. Yes. But we pretend that doesn't happen. That's so, right. They, so you, they were, they, if you're between the ages of six and 90, <laughs> you you can be considered an com- enemy combatant. Ugh. Uh, all right. Cody, fucking good job. Great. I can't wait for the conclusion. Part Hell three yeah. coming up. If you liked it, you can uh, leave a comment on our website. If you go to the form, Podcast. Dot com. Mm-hmm. You can go there and type out your email and it'll come right to our inbox and Hell we will yeah. respond 
post haste if we can. Or you can write it the old school way. Yeah, of course. Bumble yeah. Podcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumble Podcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at BumbleButtPod, Facebook, and Instagram at BumbleButtPodcast. If you'd like to be a real hero, oh, yeah. you could go leave us an iTunes review. We've gotten, uh, I think, three written ones, three or four written ones. This I'll week. tell you what. Um, I was taking a poop yesterday, <laughs> and uh, I was feeling stressed out about something. Mm. And then I opened up the iTunes reviews and read one of them and was like, holy shit, that's the greatest thing I've ever we read. Got the, we got the greatest fans, man. I'm telling you. Yep. We'll read Yippee by Nike Noodle. <laughs> Nike Noodle. Yippee is underrated. We need Yippee! to use it more. That's Slippy Toad from uh, <laughs> Star Fox. <laughs> Absolutely worth your time. This is the one that made me almost tear up a little Made bit. you have the the peaceful poop? Nice peaceful poop. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time, and that's probably the reason I constantly listen to podcasts. I'm addicted to intellectual and entertaining recorded convo about true crime. I need to fill my empty quiet house and to quiet my hyper mind. I feel you on that, honestly. Mm. So I am a podcast listening guru, and I have attempted many, but only a few pass the listening test, and even fewer pass the true attentive listening test. A++, this podcast is true crime music to my brain. Thank you very much. We force her to hang on every word. That's what we want, though. Hell yes, it is. Ultra attentive listeners. We want to do that. Thank you, Kaylee Rose, right? Thank you, is Kaylee that who Rose. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Thank you, Nike Noodle. Nike, Nike Noodle. Noodle. Thank Nike you, Nike Noodle. Noodle. Kaylee um, Rose, that's an extra shout out for free. That's what I always say. We want to do that, and we want to make people's workday less painful. Yep. Our next one is from, oh, wow, from Natrid. Natrid. I kind of like that. Me too. It sounds like a good like uh, <laughs> supplement. These guys followed me on Instagram, and then I listened to them. They're funny. Now one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you so much. It's that social media outreach. Yeah, Thank you, Natred. Natred, yes. Thank you, Natred. I wonder if he likes hate breed. I don't know why he keeps reminding me of that. Nate breed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's all of them? Yep, that's all of them. We had one unwritten. Beautiful. Absolutely great. Thank you very much for those. And now, please go to the Patreon, if you would, if you're still here. At the end of this long, <laughs> rambling shill section, mm. go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Give at any level. We still have Jordan Prince available for Absolutely. at least a couple weeks, right? Uh, October 1st. October 1st. That's mm-hmm. when we're cutting them off. Mm-hmm. But if you want a Jordan print, we still have them. Get in at the Bowling for Satan tier. Uh, that's, yeah, Patreon's awesome. We have new Patreons. We do. Absolutely. Thank you, Kayla, for the Bowling for Satan Lane Demon level. You will be getting your shirt, your sticker, and your card very soon. And Cody passed along that message. Thank yes, you very absolutely. much. I'm incredibly flattered. Uh, and we want to thank Lunchbox for becoming... Robbie! Yes, thank you for becoming a Bowling for Satan member. St. Louis... Oh, you know what? You know what I think? What's this that? is Uncle Adam being a detective here. <laughs> I think... I think Robbie is a collector of sorts. He's always posting about the the crazy beers that he's getting, and he, I think he he needs this Jordan print more than he, anything. He he does. It's so beautiful. It's so good. It's I, the best. And the plaid back. I didn't even realize. That I was gonna that. say. I said we put that on there specifically because I know Jordan would be wearing that shit. Definitely. But uh, but yeah, thank you, uh, Lunchbox. We had a nice conversation about 
craft beer as well. And I was like, I hate that it upsets my stomach sometimes, (laughs) but I do love it. Everybody should. And if you love it, uh, you should too. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Bubble Butt Podcast. (laughs) That's going to do it for me. I've been Adam, and that's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. All right, everybody. Have a nice week, and unless it's Tuesday. (laughs)